Hello everyone and welcome to One Control Port Podcast, episode 264. I'm Benjamin Yoder here today to talk to you about video games. It's pretty late, to be honest with you. I'm a little tired today. It's been a long weekend. Also, it's 10.30 at night right now, which honestly for me is not that late at night. But again, being a long weekend, I'm a bit tired. <laughs> and uh, uh, and what that means is, is that I'll be editing this to like one in the morning, unfortunately. So, you know, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll see. It probably will come out on time. If for some reason I can't, well, you won't hear this part of it until it's live. So don't worry about it. Anyways. Um, so, uh, I did actually, despite being kind of busy this weekend and stuff, I do actually have quite a few things I want to talk about this week. Um, most of them are, uh, uh, PCFX slash PC98-ish related. Um, and then also, um, we have a kind of a, I think a Patreon question that will be kind of a longer answer or response than usual. And then just like a couple news stories that I wanted to kind of dig it up. Uh, one news story that I wanted to dig into. Apparently I only see one listed here. So, um, so yeah, but I, I think it will be like a okay show lengthwise at the very least. So, um, anyways, so one game I did go ahead and start this week, um, was Farland Story FX. So initially I was talking about playing like maybe Cyber Dimension Neptunia, uh, what was it? Four Goddesses Online, the, the hack and slash one. I think it's like 15-ish hours, something like that. But after how quickly I got through Yakuza 3, I was like, maybe I'll try to play something that's a little longer. You know, I do want to make sure I can still finish it before Xenoblade Chronicles 3 comes out, which is, you know, still a month away at this point. Um, but I just want to like get, maybe invest something a little longer, but maybe something that's not like, you know, 70 hours, something like that, right? So, um, Farland Story FX, I think, might fit within that realm. I'll be honest with you, I don't really know how long the game is as a whole, but I feel like older RPGs in general, usually, like, not nearly as long as, like, a modern-day RPG, right? Um, and so, uh, what's notable about this game, or, or maybe I should say, the, the, the part of the reason I went ahead and started playing this is because recently, if you didn't see, last week, Wednesday, I did a PCFX podcast with, uh, Filler and Emily Dory, so if you have, or, uh, Filler and, uh, Speedy Noel, so if you haven't watched that or listened to that, you should probably stop this and go listen to that, because that is a good podcast, and I would rather you listen to all of us together rather than just me here by myself um, first. But um, anyway, so I did that podcast and I was like, I'm in a PCFX mood. So I went ahead and uh, started Farland Story FX. We're finally getting to Farland Story after I went on like 30 billion roundabouts um, and uh, decided to play it. And what's kind of notable about Farland Story, um, at least in terms of like my personal perspective right now, you know, I have not played through a ton of the game yet. So I'm not saying that this is like the only thing notable about the game um, is that it does have a, uh, I guess you could say partial fan translation or partial unofficial translation um, for the system. Uh, so essentially what that means is that menus and things like that in the games have been translated. And you can see why, like once you sit down and play, you can see why this wasn't fully fa- tra- translated um, because of the fact that like like all the story delivery is like voiceover only, no text on screen whatsoever. And then also uh, animated cutscenes. And I think as far as I know, the only PCFX game that inserts... Tr- uh, subtitles into the animated scenes is uh, Chojin Heki Zeroigar. That game, they actually cut in those subtitles and they inserted their own FMBs. But I feel like Welcome to Pia Carrot, for example, I think there, there's no like subtitles in that scene. Um, there is some kind of like stuff that goes on that kind of. <laughs> PCFX is weird where it can like, it can put, well, it's not that weird, but it's like you can put subtitles over a video file kind of thing. And I think the main character's dialogue is translated because the main character being a voiceless person for self insert, right? Um, has like dialogue that appears on screen. So I think that's translated, but the actual character's talking back to you is not in that case. So anyways, Farland Story FX, 
doesn't have any of that. Um, it's just pure people talking, and then uh, that's about it. And then any text in the game, so far at least, is all men- menu UI, things like that. Um, it's a strategy game, or strategy RPG, so if you ever played like a Fire Emblem or, or Final Fantasy, do tactics, something like that, you know, generally it kind of fits within that realm. You know, you're moving little characters around. I don't know if there's like a, um, uh, like, uh, what's it called, triangle system, where like, you know, a rock, paper, scissors, like sword beats axe, axe beats spear, so forth all around. It seems like that's probably not the case. Um, I think certain characters might have like certain resistances to certain types of damages and things like that. Like some characters clearly take way more magic damage than others. Um, but generally, I think it's pretty open to you kind of encountering enemies with with whatever you want to. And then you kind of pick and choose, you know, who you bring into battle. It's also a very forgiving game, I will say. At least so far, I can't really tell it was like permadeath or anything like that. Um, the biggest challenge I've had so with it so far, though, is the fact that uh, it is very slow moving. And this may be, you know, kind of standard for uh, strategy RPGs at the time. I will say it's like a mid 90s game. Right. And actually, it's like a PC 98 game that I think came out in either the late 80s or early 90s. I don't remember exactly when, um, but it's basically this is a, a remake of those the first two PC 98 games in the Farland Saga series or whatever, which. I didn't know about it, but looked into it recently, and there's apparently a ton of these Farland story games that exist, uh, and apparently they are very popular in China, Korea, and Japan, so I was not aware of that, but that is apparently a thing. Um, So, yeah, I will say so far, you know, it is something that I find just kind of straightforward. Um, it is it, it, nothing about it's really jumping out at me just kind of feels like a strategy RPG it feels kind of slow um, and it doesn't feel like there's a lot of diversity to its combat and mechanics that much uh, mainly I think because um, I, I could be wrong or maybe I'm playing this like in a bad way but like I don't really feel like individual units function well on their own um, it always feels like you kind of want to keep everyone together and move them in a group and things like that and you don't really have well, there's some classes that you have a lot of, like, types of, like, sword wielders and axe wielders, but, like, you only have, like, one healer that's hanging around and stuff like that. So, like, it doesn't really feel like you can break up the group reliably, although you can, like, buy healing items and things like that. So, I don't know. It, it, it's very, like, uh, forgiving in some ways, but other ways I feel like you just kind of want to, like, keep everybody together, and that's just, like, the safest plan. But it also just kind of takes forever to get through the levels if you do it that way. So, I don't know. I think I feel like I'm still trying to figure out my groove in that game in a way that I... I I'm not particularly finding like super like important of like, Hey, I need to really like nail down the best play style for this because all of it seems to work fairly well enough. It's just a matter of like, you know, how much are you willing to expel your gold? How many items are you willing to use versus just like having a character go around a heal? And even if characters die, other characters can come up and like, or at least the, the healer girl can just come up and heal them alive. And I think they get like all their HP back when you revive them and everything. So it's almost like in some ways better to just let them die and then heal them after that. Uh, but yeah, it's just kind of straightforward, I think, for the most part so far. Um, what is kind of interesting, though, is that so um, I mentioned earlier that it's all audio based and everything. So, like, you're not getting into the story, really. There's not that much animation, I will say. So it's even harder. Like, like if you've heard me talk about using, you know, playing games without knowing Japanese, um, a lot of what you get out of a game comes from, you know, how characters move and things like that or, or how their facial expressions changes. And while there's definitely a little bit of that, it's not enough to really read what's happening. It's just kind of like, oh, okay, like, there's just not enough context for what what's happening in a scene for that. 
Um, so the PC-98 version, though, was fan-translated. So what I've been doing is as I play through the PCFX version, I run the PC-98 version along with me. And so I'll watch the cutscenes on the PC-98 version, which has been fan-translated. And somebody's uploaded a full playthrough of, um, of both one, and I believe somebody uploaded a playthrough of two as well. Um, the only challenge, though, is, is that clearly the dialogue was expanded in the PCFX release. And um, so there's sometimes in the PC-98 version where, like, a character will have, like, two dialogue boxes. It's very straightforward between maybe, like, one or two characters. Um, but then the PCFX release, they'll have, like, a bunch of other party members start chiming in and talking. But, like, I have no idea what they're saying kind of thing, right? Um, so, like, it's, it's interesting that this particular game got fan-translated and this particular version of the game as well. Um, because there is actually other versions of Farland Story, uh, essentially the Farland Story FX release. Um, as far as I can tell, I will say I don't know for sure that like how content parody they are. But the PlayStation version in particular seems to also have uh, character uh, text on screen with it. So if you wanted to go down the route of machine translation or if somebody wanted to look at doing a full translation in the future... Uh, the PlayStation version probably looks like it'd be the better fit for that. The PCFX version would would basically would need a dub or 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 something because if you don't insert the text on screen or something like that for um for the uh, the, the the or like yeah insert the text on screen for dialogue you can't really like show the language or the the the, the cutscenes that that make up the majority of the game. Um, and assuming the game doesn't have something hidden inside where they can display that, um, you know, uh, the, the, I would imagine whoever was trying to fan translate it would have to, you know, build that from scratch, which just seems ridiculous. Go fan translate the PlayStation version. It seems like the best option. So anyways, I've not looked at that PlayStation version extensively. I just kind of flipped through it and that just looks like, oh, this is using a lot of the same graphics and art as the PCFX, PCFX version and seems to follow a similar flow and, um, and things like that. So PCFX version of Farland Story, maybe not the best choice, even with the translation in there. And there's like some things in there that's like, even if you're like, oh, well, I don't care about the story kind of thing. Um, but like, it's like, oh, if you want to find out how to get past this one part, there's a character that tells you there's a tunnel in the mountain. And like, they don't like tell you, they don't, you can't see on the map where that tunnel in the mountain is. You just have to know that that character said that kind of thing. And it, the PC-98 release, you know, essentially communicates that if you watch that along. So if you're watching that PC-98 story along with it, then you, you get the major points. I did find like one section of the game that didn't really, the PC-98 version didn't really seem to reflect the same objective. Or at least I, I, I missed the point that they were trying to make we have to go like kill these fairies to lower a barrier or something like that or or unhypnotize them by beating them up essentially i don't know exactly what was happening um and i feel like when i went through the pc98 footage i don't think i saw that as like a mission objective and so i spent a lot of time on the pcfx version being confused as exactly what i should be doing so i had to go back and look and see maybe i just wasn't reading like well enough and just didn't recognize that but uh yeah, it's it's even with the fan translation, it's I think it's a bit of a rough playthrough, unfortunately. Um, but it includes both Farland Story One and Farland Story Two, so you know how long it will be. I'm not really sure. I definitely, I don't, I've been tracking the time I've been spending on it, but the maps are definitely like an hour or so long. Um, that ferry mission took me, you know, more than two hours probably, because I was just trying to figure out what I was doing. Um, and you know, I'm on stage six right now and it seems like I'm maybe like two thirds of the way or one third of the way through the game. So if there's like, you know, 12 to 18 stages, you know, you're looking at probably at least 15 to 30 hours, something like that. So yeah, it's, um, yeah, it is, uh, it's fine. <laughs> I think is the best thing I could say about Farland Story FX so far. Um, I also don't really feel like it's utilizing the PC FX's 
strength super well. There is something to be said about like the presentation of the PC-98 version versus the PCFX, because the PC-98 version definitely fits within that PC-98 charm for Farland Story. Um, and I think in a lot of ways it looks better because of that. Um, but the PCFX version, you know, very much has, you know, these these very like animated cell looking character uh, designs and things like that. Like it, it kind of looks like somebody took an, took a series of cells and animated uh, a character fighting with that kind of thing. Um, so I actually so one thing I have not been doing and I don't think I mentioned this on the podcast with uh, Noel and Filler is like I have a CRT. I just never use it for anything. It's kind of big. It's kind of chunky. And it's also a flat screen one, so it causes certain problems with, like, uh, how certain things are displayed because of that. But, um, I probably should look at more PCFX games through the lens of, like, a CRT, even if it's not, like, you know, for a whole playthrough. Just sit down and be like, what does Farland Story FX look like on a CRT? It'd probably be a good thing for me to know, right? Um, and so I think I might start doing that. And and one thing that I really want to do... Um, let's just go and transition. I had something else I was going to talk about here, but let's just talk about it. So if you remember months ago, I bought a PCFX GA card, which if you don't know what that is, I'm going to explain it again. I know for you longtime listeners, it's like the eighth time I've explained what a PCFX GA card is. But if you're new here, you just listen to the What's It Called Noel podcast. Maybe you don't know. Um, I think I mentioned on that podcast without ever explaining it. But the PCFX GA card is a, uh, like a card that goes into a PC-98, which <laughs> I know I'm just like showing PC-98 randomly as well. Like, like everybody should know what it is. I'm, I imagine most people listening to this podcast know what it is, but you know, it's a Japanese PC. You know, I think about like any kind of Windows PC of the era. It's a bit different. There's other things going on with it. I don't know why, but there's like region specific stuff about it in Japan. But anyway, so this card goes in there. It slips in just like a graphics card, kind of. Um, but it's weird because it's like a PCFX on an actual, like, uh, uh, board kind of thing. So you, you basically slide it in there. Um, and I can get it to boot up and it works. But the problem is I just can't get it to read the disk drive, basically. And the disk drive it uses is the PC98's disk drive. Um, because the PCFX GA card basically just launches on its own separately. It, it, it's kind of, in some ways, not even really interacting with the PC that much. It does write save data to the drive, but that's about it. Anyway, so I've been trying to do that for a while. So my thought was, if I get that PCFX GA card set up, I can leave that in my setup over here and then take my actual PCFX and go like throw it on my PC or my CRT card and then just have it over there so it'd be fairly easy to do. I just got to sit down and do it. So, um, the problem with that though, is I just don't have the PCFX GA card working still, um, because the CD drive is essential for that to work, uh, as far as I'm aware. <laughs> so, um, I actually did some testing on that this week. So I actually sat down with the PC98 Discord group and, uh, did a little testing. Uh, there were certain things, like we, we did a lot of stuff that wasn't really related to what we were trying to do. Um, but it was still good to figure out, um, basically like, Hey, I need to write a floppy disk to get like a boot drive and figure out or a, a, blue, a boot disk that I can use to basically troubleshoot my CD drive. So like I went down the, 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 the road of like, okay, how do I format a floppy disk right now in the modern era? I've got two options. One I didn't think about, which was just straight up formatting it on the PC-98 itself, um, which I have not finished going through the whole process of figuring that one out. I was kind of doing both of them at the same time because the response time of the PC-98 group is understandably not super fast because it's just a community members, you know, trying to help out however they can, right? 
Um, but then I also have, I actually have it right here. If you're watching the YouTube version, I'll pull it up here. This little silver um, uh, Sony Vio, I think, or Zio, Vio? I think Vio uh, floppy disk drive as well. And this has um, something I call, I think it's called like a three mode floppy is what it's technically called or whatever. Um, so you can plug this into your PC and then, uh, you know, Windows will recognize it and you can do whatever you want with floppy disk, right? Um, so, <laughs> so I was trying to figure out how to do that. And I was going back and forth between trying to do it through the USB drive on Windows 10 and trying to do it through the PC 98. I never really got super far at the PC 98, although Noelle actually helped me out and I, I haven't tried out her method yet, but she showed me how to do it on uh, her PC-98 at least. So I need to go through that and just know how to do it because in the future it might be useful. Um, but the other thing I was trying to do was uh, on, on Windows 10, try to do it. And if you don't know, for some reason, whatever reason, because everything's always complex. I mean, it's if it was different time, different regions had different things, right? And so for Japanese floppy disks, the, the, the format of those floppy disks were like 1.23 megabytes is what it was. Where in the US, I think there's like 1.44 and then like another standard or something. But um, so like you need to format when you're burning stuff for PC, for the PC-98, you need to format in the 1.23 megabyte setup, which Windows does not like particularly doing that because it's, it has no idea what you're trying to do as, uh, you know, the specific format for a Japanese PC, right? Um, so you have to do it through, like, command line, essentially. Um, so I was trying to do it through command line, and unfortunately it kept failing out on me, um, and I was like, oh my gosh, what is going on with this? And um, somebody in the, the chat actually made a suggestion of, like, why don't you just try, like, formatting the... Um, floppy disk on its own first with like the 1.44 megabyte, the typical like standard we'd have for the US and then uh, see if you can format it after that. And so I actually tried to do that and I failed to do that because basically Windows was like, I don't know what you're trying to do is like the floppy or the, the formatting failed. And then somebody in the chat was, or the Discord was like, try it on Windows 7. So I took an old laptop, rolled it back to Windows 7. It also failed. I found out what my problem was though, is that I was like Windows, I was just trying to do the 1.44 disk format through the Windows uh, uh, graphical user interface for GUI or whatever. And um, with that, it defaults the formatting to quick formatting. So it, I had to uncheck quick formatting. And when I did that, then it would format the floppy disks to 1.44 megabytes. So I would do that. And then I went to command and then I was able to format it to 1.23 through command prompt. It actually still says it fails, but you can still do it. So I didn't need Windows 7. I just need to do it through Windows 10. Um, and, and I was able to figure that out. I was able to make a boot disk to, to check the CD drive. And it basically said, oh, there's no driver for the CD drive. I was like, okay, cool. Fine enough. That's what I thought was happening. I tried to install a driver in the past, but it didn't seem to do anything. So sat there, was trying to hemming and humming over like, what's the issue? What could the problem be? Um, and then somebody in there was like, well, why don't you check your cables and make sure they're all like, you know, tight and everything and make sure they're all good. Open the PC-98 up. There is no IDE cable connecting the PC-98 uh, motherboard, probably, to the uh, to the CD drive. <laughs> so I'm just like, oh, I'm stupid. <laughs> and like, um, so when I went to Japan, I actually had somebody built this for me. And, and there's a very good chance, I would say likely chance, that when they did it, they told me this is not connected. Um, and, and the reason that the PC-98 group gave that it probably was not connected was because it can cause slow boots and things like that because it's like a non-standard drive or whatever that a PC-98... It's like a CD slash DVD drive, which, you know, obviously with on a PC-98, 
1988, you wouldn't really be using DVDs or really or anything like that. So um, there, there's a very good chance that I was told this in the past and just forgot. I mean, it's been, you know, almost three years at this point, right? It's 2019, uh, probably like close to like two and a half years. But anyways, um, so I ordered my IDE cable, got it in, put it in, plugged it in. Cool. It actually sees it. It seems to recognize the CD drive. I have not been able to test anything to the CD drive, but I did just go, go, try to go ahead and boot up the PCFX GA card and see if it was happy with that. And it was not happy with that. Still doesn't read the disc. So still don't know what to do with that. So my biggest fear right now with the PCFX uh, GA card is that um, I've actually been going kind of hard, not hard. I have been working on the Buddy Mission Bond video script, and that is getting to the point where I will be kicking that off in a way that I'll be getting to start the, the actual editing process of the video and things like that. And I think that's going to take my time away from this PCFX GA card. And then by the time the Buddy Mission Bond video is done, I'm probably going to be pretty close to being out of video content on the website that's pre-made already. So I'll probably have to go into trying to get stuff moving forward for other stuff, unfortunately. So um, I think the PCFX GA card is in danger of being put on hold yet again. I think part of the problem is I don't really know what the problem is at this point. Um, I think the couple options I have at the moment is to A, burn something on a disc and see if I can get the PC-98 to even read it. Um, B, uh, back up my current drive image which on my compact flash drive, which is essentially the hard drive image. Um, and then put on a uh, uh, more standard or, or, or at least one that's a fresh hard drive image. And then see if I can work with the PC-98 group to build out you know, exactly what I need to do. Cause the drive's kind of mapped in a weird location. It's like mapped to the Q drive or something like that. Maybe I did that. I don't know. But anyways, so that is, yeah, that is kind of the state of that. And I'm a little worried that it's going to get put on the back burner again. I don't want it to be put on the back burner. Anything doing with the PC 98 continues to be put on the back burner because I just don't know what I'm doing is unfortunately the answer to that. So yeah, I'm just not smart when it comes to old computers. I'm not, I'm not even that smart when it comes to new computers, I'll be honest with you. Um, but like, I, 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 I'm very, um, like I'm capable of doing things with computers when I need to do stuff with them. But like the knowledge I need <laughs> for computers and like knowing why things do certain things and then why things work certain ways, um, that is a whole other thing. So yeah, it's, yeah, <laughs> it's been an adventure. So um, yeah, that's, that's where that's at at the moment. So, um, I did also try to, so before I played Farland Story FX, I did also try to play a game called Ochan's Logic or something like that. It's a Sunsoft P-Cross game for the PlayStation. Bought it a long time ago from Vink through Japan Retro Direct. Again, always recommend Vink's stuff on there. Uh, he's on a podcast recently. Um, I should probably link that podcast. He talks a lot about, um, just kind of, uh, a lot of like about being, you know, living in Japan and things like that. Um, but also about like the gaming scene in Japan. And in some ways it feels like kind of an expand expansion of the conversation I had with him years ago at this point. Um, so if you haven't um, listened to Vink before, I think it's definitely a great um, way to kind of learn about his experience in Japan and his experience with gaming in Japan as a Westerner and things like that as well. So I think that's a, a good podcast to, to listen to. So I'll actually link that um, in the description for this podcast, uh, um, later, <laughs> but when, when it's, when you listen to this, it will be there, but I will be doing it later. So, so yeah, anyways, all that aside, Ochan's logic, P-Cross, whatever fun time. Um, so this is a P-Cross game for the PlayStation. I just picked it up cause like, 
I liked P-Cross when I played Twilight Princess P-Cross. Yeah, I know own no other P-Cross games. So I was like, maybe it'd be good to have a P-Cross game in case I get in the mood for P-Cross again. And sure enough, I did. I was like, I'm ready. I'm going to play some P-Cross. Going to have a good time with this. I can pick it up, put it down wherever I want. If I haven't finished P-Cross by the time Xenoblade Chronicles 3 comes out, cool, 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 cool. Don't care. It's a P-Cross game. <laughs> I can pick it up whenever I want again. Um, so I started playing it. And then I, I noticed that I didn't have... Um, save data. So when I finished playing the game, it went back to go back to me having nothing cleared for the stage one. I was like, that's weird. And then I went and looked. It's like, oh, sure enough, my memory card's full. Um, just I don't remember there being like a message that appeared on screen saying anything about it. But you know, I, it's in Japanese. So like, usually I can spot that stuff. But in this case, I wasn't able to. So I deleted it or deleted something on the card, made some space for it. Um, Ochan's logic made a save file on there, confirmed that. Um, and then I went and started playing through the game again. I actually put like maybe like a year, I almost said a year into it, an hour or two into it. And then I went to start it up the next time and there's no save data still. The data is on the memory card, but it just doesn't load it up. So, or at least the, whatever data is there does not contain my save file or something. So I'm missing something when it comes to saving. I might need to go in the manual and do some machine translation and dig around there, but I kind of gave up on it. And that's when I went to Farland Story FX, which honestly is probably the better choice um, but yeah, I need to spend some more time figuring out how to save in that game, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, it's been shelved again and who knows when I'll get back to it. So, so we will see. Patreon time. Patreon time. Jillian. Paul Daniel. Discreet. Zero. Thank you so much for being Patreons. Patrons. I appreciate it. If you join the Patreon for $5, you get bonus content, by the way. Did you know that? Bonus content. Um, Actually, there is a uh, article rating going up this week. So if you don't know, on the Patreons, I go back to my article backlog and read some of those articles aloud. I think I might change how I do those a little bit. Previously, I was like reading through them and then commentating as I went through them. I think I'm going to read the whole article in its entirety first and then offer commentary afterwards. I think that'll work better. So I think going forward, that's all we'll expect. But I have that for Yoshi's Island uh, 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 this next uh, this next week or, or, or like on, on Tuesday this week, actually. I moved it up a day because I have the PCFX podcast part two coming out on Wednesday. Um, so I went ahead and did a read through of that. And that's something you can listen to on the Patreon this week if you are donating at the $5 level. I also am going to be uploading my um, podcast uh, clip from a while back or not a while back, like three weeks ago at this point, not that long ago, um, about Super Mario World alongside that. So you kind of get them paired together. But the Super Mario World thing is just a, you know, open thing that is available for anybody, but it's, you know, just repurposing podcast content. So, um, anyways, so, uh, that, that, uh, rereading of the, the, the Yoshi Island article is up on there. So if you want to listen to my thoughts on Yoshi's Island and me kind of critique my own thoughts and opinions on it from 10 years ago or whenever I wrote that article, um, that's there. I am going to go ahead. Like one thing I've been trying to think about is like when I can start introducing some Patreon content to the larger YouTube so they can know what's there and what kind of content's there. And I was like, I need to build up enough of backlog to make it so the people who are part of the Patreon doesn't found, like seem feel like, you know, ripped off in some way if I start giving out stuff for free. And I actually figured actually what I'll probably end up doing is just making some Patreon content for free and then just like making that content, you know, free from the start, just to give you a taste of what a certain feature is like or something like that, just so you get an idea of, of what to expect kind of thing. So, um, so I plan to, to, uh, 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 do that at some point. I think I might do my Xenoblade Chronicles article I did, uh, back 
10 years ago at this point where I talk about how I feel like Xenoblade Chronicles is kind of like this, um, you know, end all be all of the Xeno franchise in some way. Probably relevant with Xenoblade Chronicles 3 coming out. <laughs> um, and just like, even if like, the, even if the article is pure trash and like, no, it doesn't make any sense. Like, it's interesting to read through and see what my thought process was and then like, see how my feelings are in comparison today. So I think I might do that and then make that publicly available for people if they want to check that out and then push people back to the Patreon through that. Um, so I think that might happen anyways here in the bit. But anyways, $5, you get bonus content every two weeks. That's summary. I I know I make the longest roundabout ways of saying things. Um, but at the $5 level and also at a $3 level, you can have a chance to or you can ask a podcast question. Um, so basically every Monday I put up a post that basically asks for a podcast question each week. If you're at the 3 or $5 level, you can ask a podcast question that week. So this week I've got yet another question from Jillian. <clears throat> Jillian is saying, quote, <laughs> I don't, it's actually not quoted. I actually kind of paraphrase here. Uh, favorite YouTube channels? Question mark. I think that's not the entire question she asked, but that was the general idea. I think I did not copy and paste her full question, but yeah, she wanted to know what my favorite YouTube channels were. Um, so instead of just like saying like what my current favorite YouTube channels were, I thought I would kind of go over like some of the more standout ones over the years that I've really enjoyed. Um, and just cause it might like help you like understand maybe where, where some of my inspiration for YouTube comes from in some ways. Um, first, I would say, like, kind of three, I would say, early YouTube years for me are, um, you know, sites like Famicom Dojo. We talked about Vink with Japan Retro Direct recently. Famicom Dojo is a baby of his and a Sean Orange um, of the, I think his channel's called The or Orange. I don't remember what his channel's called, actually. But Sean Orange, Famicom Dojo guy. Um, so, uh, so I used to watch a ton of their stuff. It was, you know, some of the earliest... Like, I would say, I guess, like, trivia um, YouTube stuff that came out where it's like, hey, learn about Japanese things with games and things like that. So here's this Japanese Famicom disc system. Here's the NES version of a game, a Famicom version, all very playfully played out with skits and things like that. It's, it's a very... Uh, I haven't gone back and watched it, honestly, but at the time, a very fun show for sure. And, you know, with, with, with a more limited content space on YouTube, it definitely, um, um, was, it's, it's kind of funny to call it like really niche at this point because the retro space is not what it was back then. So it was kind of really niche, um, considering where things are today with retro games, but you know, just the type of content it was doing was really, really niche. It always kind of made me, um, um, disappointed that I feel like Famicom Dojo probably never really took off in the way that it, it probably deserved to take off at the time at least um they they, they do their podcast still so the, so if you want to check out their stuff definitely do that and i think occasionally they do some um some videos as well too i haven't seen a lot of their more recent stuff i'll be honest but um they're definitely like a early inspiration for me learning a lot about like japanese games um and japanese trivia about games and things like that in a video format because some stuff was out there written and things like that right um gaming historian i think was also a very informative person for me early on gaming historian has his own like youtube channel today like his youtube channel is still a thing today but this is kind of like his pre i think pre-college or like early college years where he started doing like, you know, uh, history videos about video games and things like that. And those videos always really interested me. I think these kind of videos are really what kind of drew me into like gaming knowledge and, and facts or 
you know, history and, and things like that in a lot of ways. Obviously, to some degree, I was like following Go Nintendo. So there's some some feeling I had of that already with like following Go Nintendo every day and learning news news every day through like a blog format, right? Um, but I think, you know, the video content talking about retro games is really where I started probably taking a real interest in retro gaming um from like that more historical sense and like learning about things kind of sense so um i also wrote down fits the whistlewits i don't really know why i put fits the whistlewits down but it was a fun channel at the time it's just kind of like really weird reviews of video games and like <laughs> sometimes like really just stupid stuff and uh, i'm trying to think of like the best way to explain fits the whistlewits it's a lot of just like very dry humor that is like very obviously like him just making sarcastic comics about things and i just like really enjoyed it um and i feel like even today to some extent like a lot of my humor feels in line with what fits the whistle of just like stupid things i say out loud that clearly aren't true and i just think it's funny for no good reason other than they're clearly not true um is that good humor probably not to be honest but um sometimes things just make me laugh for for what they are so i really like fits the whistle with he did um i'll i'll link all these channels i talk about through the uh, the, the podcast notes but uh he did end his channel um pretty pretty early on he got like i think like 60,000 subscribers at the time and then he uh, uh, he had his finale video <laughs> had something to do with like what is it called those little chocolate oranges or whatever he had some whole thing he made a story and like ended his channel i think he like died in the field in his video or something like that it was it was bizarre so so that was definitely a kind of more like early-ish to 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 maybe late late early youtube for me and, and channels i liked a lot for that um i feel like mid mid kind of youtube like i'm not really putting date ranges on these so forgive me on that but like kind of like after that maybe is the better way to present that um i really liked beta 64 as like an extension out of um uh that kind of like oh here's some you know gaming knowledge and bits and pieces here and getting into like cut content and things like that a lot um classic game room that's something that people always say i sound like mark from classic game room at times with my videos especially especially the casual reviews and things like that um i don't know how true that is or isn't but it has frequently been mentioned to me so um i think mark was definitely an inspiration to me um and and his his kind of video quality content um i think mark is only mark can be mark and in some ways i feel like mark can no longer be mark um with his sense of humor there's like a particular era of classic great game room that i think was particularly really well done and it just was like random garbage of like you know reviewing gamer grub and stuff like that and just like a lot of really bizarre jokes i don't know like maybe not bizarre jokes they were, they were very like low-hanging fruit in some ways but you know he would just like start talking about like truxton while he's doing a video review of something, I don't know. It was it was a good channel though. I think a lot of people watch Classic Game Room. I will say it was pretty successful at the time. Actually, um, I, I I listened to an interview. I forget who he did the interview with. Uh, I forget if it was like Pat the NES Punk or somebody else. I know I know he was on Pat's show once, or I'm pretty sure he was. Um, but he talked about, or maybe no, maybe it was with his uh, coworker. Um, what's his name? Shoot, the guy with like the uh, was it dreads or like curls? I don't remember exactly what. Um, I feel like it starts with a D. I can't remember for the life of me, sorry. But the guy who ran uh, CGR Undertow was kind of like the main guy there. Um, I think he did a podcast and it's like really fascinating to hear just like how much of an enterprise like C- Classic Game Room was because it just felt like it was just Mark 
doing Mark's thing. And in some ways, I think it was. Um, but it sounds like there's actually a lot more people behind the scenes and money going around than than you really expected from from that. But uh, unfortunately, I think the YouTube like Adpocalypse, the first one, really uh, kind of killed Classic Green Room in a lot of ways. And I think Mark's enthusiasm, like Mark as a content producer, I think is is very like driven by what he's interested in. And he's interested in things other than video games versus like a jerk like me who just focuses on video games nonstop. Um, so he's like, I'm probably similar to that where like my, my fancy goes elsewhere and I kind of lose enthusiasm for certain things at times. Sometimes my enthusiasm for PCFX is fairly low. Sometimes my enthusiasm for Nintendo, Nintendo stuff is fairly low. Like not that low, but like I, I just kind of go through dips and, and jumps. And I feel like for with Mark, sometimes he's like in the comics, sometimes he's in the movies, sometimes he's in the video games. And I feel like that his his time on classic game room was definitely like peak of him going on, on video games. And at some point he just kind of dropped off super hard. And I don't think he's really ever gotten back to, well, he started up a podcast and I haven't really listened to that podcast. So I don't know, maybe he's back on the video game train with that, but I don't, I haven't really seen him around out that much. And then I'd say like Giant Bomb, um, Giant Bomb is, is probably something that's been fairly influential as well with like, uh, quick looks and things like that. I did the quick play series with basically, you know, mimicking them in a lot of ways, just more just like conversational kind of stuff. But like, obviously I'm here alone. Website's called One Control Port for a reason. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so I, I'm kind of replicating in some ways what they're trying to do as just me, myself, right? Um, is that successful? Clearly not to some degree, right? <laughs> um, but, but, um, I, I think Giant Bomb was definitely in some ways. I say not early era Giant. I know there's like, like the, the like the Ryan, Ryan, Ryan Davis. Was that his name? Sorry, the guy who passed away. Unfortunately, I don't remember his name off the top of my head. Um, but like that era of Giant Bomb, I was never really w- connected to. It was more of like, Post like um the giant bomb west and east split was more of the giant bomb. I was familiar with with like Dan Drew things like that. So I came in quite a bit later than than that earlier giant bomb era. Which you know at that time they weren't really doing a lot of YouTube stuff specifically. Honestly, um it was kind of later that they did that stuff. So um but yeah when they came to YouTube and stuff I watched a lot of their quick looks there and things like that as well. Um some weird but neat channels are um cartoon cartoon girl Pong. Um, Cartoon Girl Pong is a, I believe a Korean channel, if I recall correctly. And it's this dude who does electronics reviews. Um, and, and in the reviews, he has this like live 2D animated girl and a couple of other characters actually that show up too, but the girl's kind of the main girl of it. And they like, like pop up on, on screen and like have little comments they make. So he's not like voicing over any review stuff. He's just like dropping in text boxes where the girl like comes up on screen and is like shaking your finger or something like that. Or just like doing, just like, you're just like grabbing her chin and thinking, or just like looking around. It's just, it's weird. He's like a set of animation he uses that he pairs certain phrases. And he actually translated some of them into English. So if you go watch Cartoon Girl Girl Pong, um, you can see it, but it's like very low budget and just, I don't know, something with it and like that that presentation and the music with it, which is like this very elevator music. um, I always found like really charming and appealing. Um, So uh, definitely it's a very low view YouTube channel. So I would definitely say check that out if you want something a little weird. Another weird one that I, I could not find the name of for the life of me is um it was a Japanese male porn stars YouTube channel. And it was just like a lot of really weird like play 
like acted scenes, I guess. It was like a lot of like game show stuff and things like that. And like all of it was like vaguely horny in a way, but it wasn't like, you know, straight pornography or anything, but it's just kind of like weird, goofy and fun, honestly. Um, and I enjoyed that quite a bit. I think he's like one of the number one Japanese like male porn stars. So honestly, you could probably find him if you looked into it. My brain is saying Yuta is his name, maybe Y-U-T-A, but I'm probably wrong. So anyways, I could not find the name of that channel, though, in the time I spent with it. There's a little fly flying in front of me. Get out of your little fly. Um, so, so yeah. So anyways, that stuff aside, um, uh, to get into a little bit to last year, I actually went on kind of like a um, retro gaming kick on YouTube where I really went to learn more about people collecting and things like that. Um, on YouTube, this is because I was kind of working on that one video that I did last year where I was talking about game collecting and how I purchase games. And I felt like the way I talked about purchasing games was different than a lot of people who are in the kind of collecting scene, which I think, I think my ultimate feeling that I came out of that with was like, maybe I'm not really a collector. Um, I think Retro Bird put it great, which is Retro Bird's a great channel, I will say for, for stuff. But I think he mentioned at one point, like it's a library of games rather than a collection of games. And I think that probably honestly fits closer to what I feel like my collection is. And I literally just called it a collection, right? <laughs> but um, anyway, so um, he made a really good channel. A lot of like visual gag skits that I think were really well done. And they don't get in the way of the video. I think a lot of the problem with skits, including in my own videos that I've done skits, is they get in the way of the game. And I feel like that in the... Um, we jockey video where I throw the Wii remote on the ground. That is me trying to do something maybe closer to the style of retro bird fair of just like a visual skit that like is there. It doesn't interrupt the flow of the video. It's just like a background piece of humor. Retro Bird's doing that all the time, multiple times in a video. So he's doing it well beyond anything I can do. And I never expect to ever <laughs> like do a video in that format. But it was like really interesting to see how he handles skits. And I think his the way he does skits is very much going to inform how I do skits in the future, hopefully. Um, so, so yeah, it's stuff like that. Um, but anyways, Retro Bird's channel, very cool. You know, more standard retro video game talk, I will say. Pretty straightforward. Um, I watched a lot of Pat and the NES Punk for a little bit. Not his, like, um, I forget what his main videos are called. Mainly just was listening to the CU podcast, as well as his, uh, yeah, his Flea Market Madness. I watched quite a few of those as well. Um, more of, with Pat, it's interesting to see, like, how you can make a podcast kind of centered around game collecting in some ways. It's not exactly. There's a lot of topics that go on that's related to that, but it was interesting to see that. So, so, um, that was a channel I watched a lot last year. Not so much watching now. I tune into their podcast from time to time when the topic interests me, but not a ton. Retro Bird, I unfortunately have fallen off of for the most part. Um, and then, so what I'm doing mostly this year in this 2022 year is, um, I've been watching Simple Flips, which might sound weird. So if you don't know, Simple Flips is a guy who does Super Mario Maker 2 videos and Super Mario 64 mod videos. Two things I would not think would really jive with me in any ways. Um, but they're interesting to see and I don't know what draws me to them a ton. But what I can say is this at the very least. Um, and this is like maybe not so much about like what I get out of enjoyment from his channel. Um, or maybe it does. I don't know. Make your own decision. <laughs> but like, uh, in, in his, his videos are like kind of just so far out from anything I would ever do, like information wise, that like anything I see in there is like, 
unique to me, right? Like, I'm sure there's so many more Super Mario Maker videos, or Super Mario Maker video people out there. Actually, I forget his name, DG Koopa or DJ Koopa or something like that. He messaged me about Tiny Bullets once when I was like, oh, you just have like 500,000 subscribers. Hello. Thank you for messaging me about Tiny Bullets. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, fine. Um, anyway, so apparently he likes that game um, or, 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 or wanted to like it. I don't know. I would be curious. Maybe I should check to see if he's played it, honestly. I'd be curious. Tiny Bullets fans, where are you? Did you play Tiny Bullets? Let me know. Check out Tiny Bullets. Um, if you look up the YouTube, I'm pretty sure I'm the only YouTube video about Tiny Bullets still. So, or at least the only standalone YouTube video. Um, so yeah, it's just like so far out there. I think it just like, it, it, it interests me because it's so disconnected from anything I've ever really consumed before. It's kind of unique. And I feel like that's something that I've been kind of finding recently is that I'm, I'm struggling to, maybe because I've been listening to so many people for so long, like Jeremy Parrish and things like that that I'm just having more and more trouble finding videos that really catch my interest that are within the topic range. And I think part of that's because I'd rather just find it myself at times. Like, I'd rather just be like, okay, I'm just going to dig and see what happens. One of the things that I think just really excite me with video games is like learning something new. Um, so maybe not so much like discovering something. I talked about this a little bit on the PCFX podcast, or maybe it's part two of the PCFX podcast, actually, coming out this Wednesday listen for it. Um, uh, but, uh, like, uh, I, I don't want to say discovering games because a lot of these games have been played by people in the past and things like that. Um, but like, uh, just finding out about something new and learning something new. And if I watch somebody else's video about it, I kind of lose some of that magic of learning something new about a game in some ways. Um, usually though, if like something has a lot of video coverage about it, like I won't even watch that video coverage. I'll just go look at something else on my own and be like, okay, let's go look at whatever. But like, I think to some degree I'm like, oh, you know, I, I just know that I, I would probably get more out of coming over here to this other thing that I haven't really looked at that much. I just think finding out new things about games is exciting. And so I think like when somebody else does that through a video, I don't get as much excitement out of that. I'd rather see it myself in some ways. So I think that's why I've kind of pushed away from um, some content. I will say, though, that like there are great examples of it done super well in, in ways that I really can't ignore um, or not ignore, can't ignore being the right word, but like um, eventually will draw me in. Uh, I think, you know, I'm probably biased at this point with, uh, Noel being on the podcast, but, uh, Speedy Noel's, uh, videos on PC 98 games are going well beyond any research I would ever do into them. And if any system needs like a lot of time put into it and a lot of research put into it for the West, it is the PC 98. It is the, you know, arrow gay scene. It is the adventure novel scene. Things like that. It is incredibly, horrendously underserved here, um, especially when it comes to video content, I will say. Um, and, and like, it's kind of crazy that, like, she's touching on very popular video games, right? Yeah, there's just not a lot about them in the West. So it, it's been interesting to watch. The, the one challenge I have, and this is not to say anything about um, um, Noelle's content, is um, I kind of just have, like, an inherent issue with video essays so videos that are like hours long hour hour two hours things like that and it's more of a me issue and it's something i'm trying to work around because sometimes i have me issues with certain things and it's more of just the fact that i'm approaching it from a very specific way and i'm not being open-minded about how to change my mind about it and i need to be open-minded how i how i look at it and video essays are one of those things that like i sit down and i feel like i have to watch it for an hour somebody wrote out a script and read this thing off for an hour. I need to listen to every bit of the script, look at every frame of the video, see how they edit that video together. 
And I think video essays, for me specifically, just don't work for that because it's just too long. I lose interest after like 15 minutes. So if I have a video essay on the background, it works a lot better. Um, maybe I've only done it a couple times so far, so I'm still trying to work out how I feel about that. But um, Noel's is one of the first ones I, I definitely tried that with. The Ayano-san video, which I will say, very not safe for work. Um, so if you go look it up, just be aware that you want to be in a place that is not going to be, uh, uh, critical of that. Um, but that's a great video. Um, and, and like it, it has a ton of information in there and things like that. So, um, so I'm still getting used to like consuming the video essay format. I, I think until I understand what I like about the video essay format, I personally won't be doing a video essay. I just, I feel like that's a format that I can't do unless I fully understand what's appealing about it, right? So, um, and so, and in, in, in listening to more, hopefully I'm better understanding the appeal of it. And if I want to go that route, you know, how I would do it my own way, right? You guys see me. I do tons of different types of content all the time. So, like, like whatever. What's another piece of content on <laughs> a different style to put? Um, and there's some other non-video game things I just want to mention. Uh, this is something I've been watching a lot recently, but I've been following the channel for a long time. The JapanChannel.com. Uh, it's actually called the Japan Channel Decom. Um, just a dude, old dude living in Japan, just talking about Japan stuff. It's a great channel if you just want to learn about random Japanese things, if you want, from one person's perspective, an Australian guy's perspective. So that's kind of neat. Um, if you're into history and stuff, I really like Mr. Beat's channel. Um, Mr. Beat does like a lot of great history videos that are very fun in a very like history teacher kind of way. History teachers were always my favorite teachers in school. And Mr. Beat definitely fits in that criteria of that type of teacher. So I think it's a very good and informative thing. And this is very not video games, but, um, I will say just cause I recommend this to a lot of people and, and, you know, I don't want to say too much cause I know everybody has their own feelings about things all the time in different life situations. I don't want to say much, but, um, if you want to just get like really quick bits of news stories and things like that without, um, you know, worrying too much about talking heads and things like that, you know, focusing more on experts that are brought on and things like that. Um, Reuters YouTube channel is great. I know it's not video games, but I just think Reuters is a great YouTube channel for like, I want to hear about three to five news stories today and do it in five to 10 minutes. It feels like the equivalent of breaking open a newspaper and just reading it with your morning coffee. I feel like that like previously was a thing and where I just pick the five stories I want to listen to and then shut it down. And then that's probably, in my opinion, the the happiest time ever when I can consume political content, political news stories and things like that is just through Reuters and getting these very short two minute clips about whatever's going on. Um, so if you're in, if you're into news, but hate the drama that comes around all the time with like the 24 seven news cycle with talking heads and stuff, I think Reuters is a great place uh, to get that from like a YouTube channel. So anyways, Whew, that was long, but honestly, I don't got much else in this podcast, so let's just quick, quick close this out real quick. Final Fantasy 16, it's not an open world game. Also, there's party members. I didn't really think there was not going to be party members, I don't think, but apparently people thought there were not would not be party members in Final Fantasy 16, just the one guy fighting the world. Um, no, there's going to be party members, apparently. I think all AI controlled, though. I don't know if you'll be able to switch through, switch between them. I know Final Fantasy 15 didn't launch with the ability to switch between characters, but eventually it got there through downloadable content, things like that. But 16 won't be an open world game. Um, that's appealing to me, I will be honest with you, because I just don't really care that much for open world games. And I look at Final Fantasy 15, it's open world. And I know people like Final Fantasy 15, it's open world, but 
I was not a fan of that. So that's not to say they can't do it better or do it well in the future, but I'm glad they're just not really going that route this time because personally, I'm fine. I feel like I could be wrong. I feel like there is kind of a pushback against open world content these days. Like, I don't know. I feel like there's the, we're finally getting to the point that people are like, maybe something's just like, maybe when something's just like linear and cool, it's just a cool video game. We don't have to have these crazy things. I feel like there's like everything I saw about Starfield online was just like about how they said like a thousand planets would be in the game. And everybody was just like, that sounds probably like it won't be great um, because there's just so many. Admittedly, we're all in our little echo chambers, things like that. Maybe the mass market's like, hell yeah, a thousand planets kind of thing, right? But um, I, I feel like there's just been like a little bit of a pushback against open world stuff in recent years. So um, I'm glad to see that's going to happen. That doesn't necessarily change my feelings on Final Fantasy 16. I think another little bit of info. I don't know where this came from, so I'm... Uh, yeah. But um, the uh, summon battles apparently are going to be like a themed off different things. So there's going to be like a variety of different summon battles with different things going on. So I think, I think that's cool um, as well. So uh, there are things about 16 that interest me, but I'm not sold on 16. That doesn't necessarily mean that I won't play it. But, um, you know, how quickly I'll try to go on my way to play Final Fantasy 16 will rely heavily on if they can sell it to me. But as a Final Fantasy fan, eventually I probably will have a copy of Final Fantasy 16 that at least sits on my shelf, even if I don't get too super deep into it. But I'm still just like really iffy on that combat. I know people are really into it and I'm glad you are. Um, personally, I just am, um, I want to see more than just Devil May Cry with the stagger meter at this. So maybe at some point they'll show that, you know, it's, we're still like a year away from the, the game coming out. So maybe there's some aspect I am not aware of it yet. So I did not watch the Xenoblade Chronicles Direct, which is okay. I mean, I probably should have, but it's fine. I, I'm sold on that game anyways. So that's it for this week. Oh gosh, it is 1130 at night, baby. OneControlReport.com is the website. I have a Patreon. I mentioned it earlier. Please subscribe. Please support me. I currently don't have like reliable um, employment at the moment. So if you can give me uh, some some money, that's cool. Um, the more money I get through Patreon, the more I can d dedicate to the YouTube channel. But you know, the, we, we are nowhere near that point at the moment. So, um, but uh, I did not not to worry about me or anything like that either. I will say. Um, I do have some freelance work lined up and stuff like that, but you know, how long that lasts and, and how long that will pay well is a whole other thing. Um, still just trying to figure things out though, but yeah, uh, any Patreon contributions can help. Like I said, the, uh, Patreon video is coming up this week though for the $5 bonus level. Last week we had the PCFX podcast with Speedy Noel and, um, and, and, uh, filler That's part one. Part two is coming out this week. I know I've been mainly doing a two week cycle for things, but for the fact that for the sake of just keeping the momentum on that podcast, I figured just one week afterwards would be fine. So we'll launch that podcast this week. And then the week after that, we have the Unit FX uh, English Guide video for that. So on stream, we're playing One Piece Unlimited Adventure, a Wii game by Gunbarian, the Pandora's Tower developers. They mainly developed One Piece uh, outside of Pandora's Tower. Um, so uh, that game seems all right. A lot of kind of interesting design decisions that game. Maybe not the funnest from a combat perspective, I will say. Um, and also I think they got some things wrong with the overworld movement. Um, so maybe not like the best game, but I think it's like cool, um, at the very least. Um, it is like 30 hours though. So we'll see how that goes. We'll probably, if, if 30 hours is the real time, we'll probably take a break halfway through around like 15 hours and come back to it, um, later. So anyways, we'll see how that goes. Um, that's again, Thursdays at 7 PM Pacific time. Um, otherwise though, um, yeah, that's going to be it this for, for this week. 
And thanks for coming. Also, just a quick reminder, you can find us on Anchor FM if you'd like as well, if you just want to listen to the audio version. That's a option to you as well. I need to probably plug that in every episode, to be honest. And there's the YouTube version where you can see my face. I was going to say beautiful face, but I feel like you shouldn't call yourself beautiful. Well, maybe. <laughs> Some people, I think a lot of people would disagree with that, actually. Let's just leave it at that. Anyways, I will talk to you guys later. Bye. <laughs>